What is up, everybody? Welcome to a Friday edition of Texans All Access. From the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio, I am your host, football analyst and sideline reporter, John Harrison. So thrilled to be with you tonight because we are, oh, I don't know, what are we, 36 hours, maybe a little bit more away from kickoff. Less than 48, that I know. We're less than 48 hours away from kickoff. The season opener, the first time the Texans will open on the road since 2013 when they opened at San Diego at Qualcomm, which I don't even know what it was at that time, but Qualcomm is the way that I remember it. If you go way back, Jack Murphy Stadium was what we should call it. But either way, last time the Texans opened on the road was 2013 against the Chargers. Walked away with a comeback victory, would take a comeback victory. Anything that ends in victory, I will take it Sunday against the New England Patriots. Now, it's the fourth time the Texans will have played within two full calendar years. How about that? Fourth time up there. Now, a lot of people have asked me, in fact, my wife asked me this last night. She said, why do you all consistently go up to New England? Well, the way that the, the schedule goes, you either, you'll play New England if, A, it's a three-year rotation, the AFC. So every three years, you play teams from each division. So in 2015, it's AFC East. 2018, it's AFC East. 2021, it'll be AFC East. In 2015, the Patriots came here. That was the rotation. In 16 and 17, it was all a result of the Texans and Patriots finishing at the same spot in first place in their divisions. The, the thing is, though, 2017 was a little weird. 2017 should have been flipped. Kansas City should have come. We should have gone to Kansas City, and New England should have come here. But it didn't come out that way, and there was some sort of anomaly or some blip on the radar screen that forced it to be that way. So we go back up to New England for 2018, the fourth time, as I said, in two calendar years. I'm bringing everybody. I'm bringing the whole shooting match, which is not something the Texans could say last year, and it's going to be something hopefully they're, they're going to say a lot more times this year than they were able to say last year. Because after the Kansas City game, it was never the same. It didn't even get close. The only time last year that we played with any semblance of all of our dudes, if you will, was Tennessee in week four. And how did that go? 57-14. That was the only time we even got, got close. Because in week three, one, two, weeks one, two, and three, we didn't have Will Fuller. In week five and beyond, we did not have Whitney Merciless and J.J. Watt. Throw in other injuries as we obviously went forward with Christian Covington and then Deshaun Watson, et cetera, et cetera. We've got our dudes. And that includes new dudes as well, as in Aaron Colvin, Tyron Matthew, Sunil Kelamete, Chantrell Henderson, Zach Fulton, Johnson Batamosi. A lot of new dudes on this team. In fact, I this was in our release, our game release put together by one of the best you're going to find, Ohms, Omar, he's the best. Omar put this together, and he put this note in there, and he said that the 53-man roster, now depending on who plays, who doesn't, 21 Texans will be making their Texans debut. Guys like Jordan Akins, Johnson Batamosi, Sammy Colts, Aaron Colvin, Kiki QT, Natrell Jamerson, well, he's just making his Texans debut, period. Jordan Thomas, Trevor Daniel, Duke Edge of Four, and on and on. 21 of the 53-man roster will be suiting up for the Texans in a regular game, a regular season game situation for the first time. Wow. That's how things change in the NFL, and hopefully the change has been for the better 
for your Texans. Now, we've got a lot to do on the show tonight. We've got our Deep Slant interview of the week with D.B. Sidhu. This week, it's homeboy Duke Edgefor. And I don't just mean homeboy colloquially, colloquially. I mean it as he's from Houston, from A-Leaf, which is Houston. A-Leaf Taylor High School. Elsick Hastings, the other two uh, in A-Leaf, which I grew up playing against. Taylor came along later on, so we'll have Duke Edgefor on the show. We also are going to have general manager Brian Gain. The game plan with Mark Vandermeer, we'll have that later in the show as well. I will pick every single game as we go around the NFL. That's the way I do it around the NFL. Look at each game, talk about each game, pick each game against the spread and straight up. And, yes, I know that there have been changes in the gambling legislation throughout the United States. It hasn't changed anything in Texas, but that's how I, how I do it to talk through the games. Take it for what it's worth. It's just fun talking about the NFL, talking about games and predicting what's going to happen in games throughout the NFL. I will give you my keys to the game on both the offense and defensive sides of the ball. And I'll throw special teams in there with the defense as well because, as Coach noted yesterday, and I have talked about this, Mark's talked about this, you talk to anybody about this game and about facing the Patriots, the one thing the Patriots have done a great job of in playing the Texans is to be sterling on special teams. In 2016, in the game on Thursday night, fumbled Two kickoff returns, Patriots turned that into two touchdowns. In the playoff game, gave up a Deion Lewis kickoff return for a touchdown. Last year, excellent job by the Patriots knocking home field goals, obviously when they needed to. Didn't, get, didn't need too many of them uh, on the day. I think Goskowski hit the – no, I take it back. He didn't hit any field goals. They put sevens up on the board. But from a punt standpoint, last year Allen had a 45 average – he hit three inside the 20, starting three drives inside the 20, which is something you would absolutely love for Tom Brady to have to do on the other side. Shane Leckler last year pinned two inside the 20. This is going to be Trevor Daniels' first game, so he's going to be in the spotlight. So the special teams got to come up. So we'll talk about defensive and, all, uh, defensive and special teams, keys to the game, in addition to what this offense has to do to beat the New England Patriots. We've also got player reporter Kareem Jackson, and the final word with Drew Doherty is with Kareem Jackson's running mate, Jonathan Joseph. All right, that gives you a rundown on everything that's on the show, but we got to kick it off as we always do with our Hot Reads. Hot Reads brought to you by Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. We're going to kick off Hot Reads with the way that we always will on Friday with a few minutes with the head coach, Bill O'Brien. Mark Vanderman had a chance to catch up with him this morning after his media session. Coach, this is the fourth visit to New England in the last 33 games you've played. So that kind of familiarity with the place, how does that help you out, if at all? Uh, I don't know, because it hasn't been real good. You know, we have to, um, you know, look, I think I think we prepare for road games, Vandy. I, I, don't, I don't think it matters where it is. You know, we have a process to, you know, how we get ready for a road game, whether it's crowd noise or the travel part of it or whatever it is. Uh, nutrition part of it, whatever it is. So I, I don't know if it matters. You know, we're familiar with how to travel on the road, and we need to execute on the road. You know, we've, you know, I think a couple of years ago we did a good job, a pretty decent job on the road. I think last year obviously wasn't very good on the road. We we have to we have to do a good job of executing on the road. I feel like I ask you this or a version of this every time you play them, but what's it like preparing for a game plan offense because they're going to change what they do yeah, to combat it, you? Very difficult. I mean, you know, this is a team that. You know, you just really don't know exactly how they're going to come out and how they're going to operate. And so you have to go by what you've seen in the past, 
what they've done with their roster, figure out how you how you think they're going to utilize some of those players. You know, Edelman not being in there, how are they going to utilize Hogan? How are they going to utilize James White? Obviously, Gronk is a big part of what they do. Obviously, Brady. And and, and then on on defense, you know, you look at Hightower, you look at Van Noy, McCourty. You know, how are they going to use Flowers up front, Dietrich Wise? That That's something – that we have to see quickly how the how those players are being used, what the scheme is, and and do a good job of adjusting. You were asked a question about week one at your Friday press conference, but with what you said about last week, last week you sort of divided the team and you had that fourth preseason game. Does yeah. that help you out for week one in a way, having that extra prep time? I think I think we're definitely ahead. I think we're we're you know we've we've had a number of reps that maybe you wouldn't usually get during a normal week on the opponent, which is good. I think we've approached the week the right way. I thought yesterday's practice. Uh, you know, uh, Thursday's practice was a really sharp practice. Our guys have been into it. And, and yeah, I think you get a few extra reps in week one that you're not going to get the rest of the year just because of the, uh, you know, especially without the bye week and all that. You know, you're just not going to get that many reps on an opponent. So it's been good. What's your feeling on special teams with the reps you've gotten in the preseason games and throughout training camp and practice? You know, I feel good about special teams, Vandy. I think the coaching's been real good. I think the leadership there has been good. You know, like I said in the meeting or the media, you know, Brian Peters was elected a special teams captain. He's done a good job. There's other guys, Batamosi, uh, Dylan Cole, um, Sammy Coates, uh, number, John Weeks. All those guys have done a really good job of, of uh, keeping guys on task. And then Brad's done a real good job, Tracy, of coaching. And so I, I feel good about it. But the proof will be in the pudding. We've, we've got to go out there and, and uh, we've got to execute on game day. All right, biggest factors in pulling out a Texans win. Yeah, look, we, we when you play the Patriots, and really you could say this about any opponent, but it's especially true with the Patriots. They don't beat themselves, so you can't beat yourself. You can't turn it over. Uh, you can't commit foolish penalties. Uh, you have to play good field position football. When you're in the red zone, you got to score touchdowns, and when they're in the red zone, you got to hold them out. You know, you, you, you've got to you've got to do a good job of that. And uh, you know, dealing with the the crowd noise, maybe some elements weather wise. You know, you're you're gonna have to deal with those things. But I think the the ba- the main main deal with the Patriots is to play a clean game. If you play a clean game, you're gonna be in the hunt, and uh, then you just gotta finish it. Coach, thanks a lot. Good luck. Thanks, Vinny. No doubt, playing a clean game, no turnovers, or limit the turnovers. But that special teams thing, and we'll get to that later in the show as we get to our keys to the game. That special teams, ew, that special teams one is huge. There's no question that Brad Seeley and Tracy Smith they got their, they got their hands full. There's no question with the Patriots from that standpoint. But hopefully the change of personnel will boost the special teams this year more so than they have in years past. All right, our next hot read. Oh, the injury report. It's one thing you always wait for on Friday because you get the declarations: who's in, who's out. Who's questionable? Well, that's the big word, questionable. Whitney Merciless, good to see him back as a full participant. Sort of expected that for Whitney to be ready for week one, and he will be. So he will be out there with Clowning Watt. Should be a full go, and good to see him back on the field, Whitney Merciless. The rest, well, hamstring issues galore for the wide receivers. Sammy Coates, Will Fuller, Kiki QT, and also Duke Edgefor. They are all questionable. Questionable is also the M.O. on the other side of the Patriots. Sony Michelle is probably the big one over there. He is questionable. He's a limited participant all week in practice. They're trying to ramp him back up and get him ready. The only other one is Marcus Cannon. Has been a full participant in practice. Still listed as questionable. I would imagine Marcus Cannon is going to be ready to play on uh, Sunday against the Texans. The Patriots need Marcus Cannon in the worst way. It may not be enough. 
but they absolutely, without question, need to have them some Marcus Cannon. So there is your injury report for Sunday's game against the New England Patriots. Next hot read comes via the NFL. Very cool thing to see here. We've talked about the impact of the Honey Badger. Tyra Matthew has been all kinds of awesome, and he took it one step further off the field. Just today, he was named as the NFL PA Community MVP of the Week for delivering 250 backpacks filled with school supplies to kids at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Houston. Now, it's listed as Week Zero because the Texans and the rest of the NFL has not really started, but Tyron did that work last week, and it was so refreshing to see the pictures of him and the kids, and he had such a big smile on his face. And I can't wait for Sunday for him to make his debut as a Houston Texan. But great news from the NFLPA that he was named as the NFLPA Community MVP of the week for delivering those backpacks to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Houston. Congrats to Tyron for doing that. All right, we have hit on a number of different things in Hot Reads and in this opening segment. Let's get into our interviews next with Duke Edgefor and Brian Gain, the man who drafted Duke Edgefor. Duke Edgefor will be here with our Deep Slant interview, and the game plan with Mark Vanderbilt will also be next on Texans All Access. Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. Glad to be with you. I'm John Harris, as I am each and every Wednesday and Friday. And Monday, too. Yeah, by the way, Monday as well. Monday 6 to 7, Wednesday 6 to 8, and Friday 6 to 8 as well. And then following the show tonight, you're definitely going to want to listen because my boys back in studio, guys that I have known for a long time, boys back over at 610, BMAC, Josh Beard, and Jeremy Branham, they're going to put together a fantasy show that I think you definitely want to turn into. So definitely check that out at the end of our show. I'll remind you. I'll definitely remind you at the end of the show. But I just wanted to get that plug in there for the guys right about now. All right, it's time for our DP Sidhu Deep Slant Interview of the Week. We will always have that on Friday. And DP goes into, well, she goes a little deeper than anybody else does when she does interviews with the Houston Texans. This week, it was rookie and homeboy Duke Ejiofor. DP. <laughs> Joining me today, Duke Ejiofor, outside linebacker, Houstonian, rookie. Uh, welcome to the Hyundai Texans radio studio. You've been in here before, but glad to have you back. Uh, thank, thanks for having me. All right, I wanted to ask you about, first of all, obviously big game on Sunday against against New England, but let's back it up a little bit with the preseason. You kind of came out with a big bang. Kansas City, three QB hits, and then the game against San Francisco, the first two plays of the game, you mm. – you really made your presence known to a lot of people who really didn't know what you were about. 
Did you feel like you had something to prove? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, but um, it was all about just me trying to go out there and show what I've been working on uh, throughout the whole offseason and during training camp. I read that you had a torn labrum mm-hmm. your senior year of college. And then how did that affect that whole offseason for you, the whole draft process, and then sort of getting back into the swing of things and then also just getting ready to be an NFL player? Right. So I was out of uh, OTAs. I missed summer. I, I didn't do anything at the combine or anything like that. So I got cleared like late July, and I was able to uh, start practicing in training camp. And, you know, I was a bit behind. It took some time to get back my rhythm and stuff. But, um, yeah, I would say um, – you know, I was a bit slow down coming back, but, you know, I ended up starting to uh, pick up the progress and, and get a better feel for things. I was asking Whitney Merciless about you just uh-huh. now in the locker room because I said, were you surprised when you saw what Duke was able to do in the preseason games? Uh-huh. He said no. He said you had a really – he said fluid body motion. He said <laughs> that. But you that you really picked up on things a lot faster than maybe he or some of the other rookies had. What do you uh-huh. attribute that to, being able to get up to speed as quickly as you did? Well, I'd say – just talking to him, actually, you know, he's been a good mentor to me. So I've just been asking him a lot of questions, you know, him and Brenda Scarlett and, you know, some of the other vets and, uh, you know, just st- studying the playbook and, you know, taking coaching. So that's what I'll test that too. You got a fun group mm-hmm. between Clowney, Merciless, Brian Peters and uh-huh. those guys, Bernardrick, yep. obviously. How how has that been like for you to just sort of gel with those guys? That's been great. You know, those are a great group of guys, and I'm just happy to be a part of the uh, core. Yeah, it was only a matter of time before I got to your Houston Here's Donian Roots. You're obviously a graduate of Eight Leaf Taylor. Have you been back to your old high school lately since you've been back? Yeah, I actually went. You uh, did? Yeah, this past summer. Um, talked to my head coach. We caught up on a lot of things because, um, you know, I, it was hard for me to get back there because I was uh, going to college in North Carolina, Wake Forest. So uh, just to get back there and just catch up with my coach uh, was a good feeling. This has got to be a great feeling to, that you draft and then you get to move back to Houston. Oh, yeah. Did you sure. think that you'd be living in Houston as a professional football player at some point? To be honest, I thought this was the last place I'd end up. You know, I just – I don't know. I just never thought I'd be able to play for my hometown. But to be able to get drafted here and, you know, represent, and uh, it's an awesome feeling. And I'm just trying to do my best to earn, earn earn the right to stay on the team and play hard every play. Are your parents still here, your family? Yep. Who all still lives here? Everybody. everybody my, uh, my, both my parents have a big sister, uh, a little sister, uh, a sister who just went to college, and two brothers. Do your, I know that you have some siblings. This came out during the draft. You have – um, siblings named Prince and Kingsley. Yeah. Obviously, you're Duke. Mm-hmm. So there's like a whole royalty theme happening here in your family. Is that right. all your siblings follow along with that? What's the story there? Uh, so to be honest, I don't know much about it besides us being well-respected in Nigeria. I mean, but here in Houston, it doesn't really mean much. But um, in terms of like my family members, my brother's name is Prince. I have a little brother named King Kingsley. So um, that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> you know you know, probably about Akeem Olajuwon, obviously, uh-huh. being from Nigeria, yeah. too. But you're probably a little bit young to have seen him play. But right. how much did you hear about him growing up? Uh, I, heard a lot, I heard a lot about him, you know, especially him. With your Nigerian Nigeria. roots, exactly. right. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm just trying to follow him throughout his career. So mm. then you pick Wake Forest. You got some offers here locally in Texas. But mm. what made you decide to go out there for college? Well, I just thought Wake Forest was a better fit for me academically, as well as playing in the ACC. Uh, just, you know, that level of competition is great for me. So I just thought it was going to be a better fit for me and for my future. And then you know Kevin Johnson as well, right? Yep. You went to Wake Forest. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, the the guys in the locker room, they like to pick on Kevin a lot for his messy locker. <laughs> and he's a he's a he's he's got a fun personality. Yeah, is that fun. sort of what he was like at Wake Forest, too? How much did you guys really get to know each other there? Oh, yeah. He was uh, – so I was a redshirt freshman. He was a redshirt senior, so I only spent the year with him. So, uh yeah, but I got to know him a good bit. He's a funny guy, and you know, I just love him having him around. I want to ask you about your edge rushing because you know, obviously that's what you do 
edge of four edge rushing. I just think it's so ironic that that's your name. Uh, what do you feel like you do best? What What is the best part of your game? I know it's really early and you've really only had the off season, but heading into this week one game against the Patriots, what are your strengths? I'd say, you know, pass rushing, you know, obviously trying to get to the quarterback. Um, you know, I, I hope, I'm just trying to work hard every day and, you know, expand my variety of moves and pass rushing and also uh, setting the edge and the run. So, mm-hmm. And then you also are there on special teams as well. Uh-huh. How much do you enjoy being able to do that? You obviously get yourself active for games, Bill O'Brien says, when, you, when you're when you on special teams as well as offense or defense. Right, right, for sure. You know, just trying to get better in every aspect of the game, whether it's special teams, defense, or anything of that nature, just trying to excel and, and you know, put my best foot forward. You grew up watching this team. I remember I thought I heard you said you were a fan of the team growing up. Uh-huh. Yes, All right, who, did, who were some of your favorite players growing up? So... So I like Andre Johnson as a receiver. That's a good Washington. choice. Yeah, and then uh, Andre Johnson was definitely like the well-known guy that. I of course. Into. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you come back here and you're with the teammates and the, I'm, with a lot of new guys, they move to Houston and they say it's a really big city. It's kind of hard to get around. Did anyone sort of lean on you for advice on where to go eat or oh, where to go? Yeah, some of the rookies. The rookies. Yeah, did? some of the rookies are asking me, and uh, you know, telling them I was from here, and you know, they asked me a couple of spots. What are your What are your recommendations? You know, it's funny because like. Uh, my recommendations for food spots were like so common, so they were just like, well, <laughs> it was like Chipotle and stuff. What like a that. burger! So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were just like, oh my god, you know. And I told them that's really pretty much all I eat. So. We haven't lived here in a while right, too, yeah. so it's probably changed a lot since mm-hmm. you were here last. Absolutely, yeah. the freeways are bigger. Mm-hmm. There's more things to do. Yeah, a lot sure. more people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's always been a big city, but you know, just haven't haven't been here for like four and a half years and coming back, it just kind of, I kind of realized how great of a city it is, and I'm just like, wow, like I'm so happy to be here. So. All right, well, on Sunday we're traveling up to New England, Mm -hmm. and you get to face Tom Brady. I assume you grew up watching him, too. How do you not let a game like that get too big for you? It's obviously your first NFL game ever, Mm -hmm. not counting the preseason, but how do you not let it get too big? You're going up there facing a Super Bowl-caliber team. Right, Uh, I just think taking it a play at a time, and, you know, just knowing that everything's not going to be perfect, you know, just focusing on your assignments and alignments and, you know, just taking it a play at a time. Yeah, Whitney told me that he also gave you some advice to not get starstruck. Yeah, his first one of his first games was in Denver, and he couldn't get over the fact that he was facing Peyton Manning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's but, pretty good advice. Yeah, I yeah, thought. For sure, yeah, don't get starstruck by Tom Brady is good mm, advice. Yeah, definitely. There he is, Houstonian, a Leaf Taylor High School. They go to Wake Forest, but Houstonian, he's got a little Houstonian, Houston, a little North Carolina in him. Kind of like that guy. Um, sort of the same way. Do catch you for right there. All right, it's time. For the game plan. That's right. Brian Gaines sits down with Mark Vandermeer each and every week to talk about the upcoming matchup, things going on in the organization, acquisitions, releases, waivers, all that kind of stuff. Here's Mark Vandermeer with Brian Gaines. I know it was a huge weekend, a busy weekend. Take us through a little bit of that process because you have to make cuts and then you're seeing who's on the market. How did all that go for you? First thing I think about is, is preparation, and uh, the preparation for our preseason scouting efforts, believe it or not, Mark, starts way back in May, right after the draft, and once the 90-man rosters get set, we start projecting at that stage, uh, you know, possible cut lists, possibly who could be on the bubble, and, and possibly who's going to make uh, every single team. But, but to do that, you really have to have a strong evaluation of your own roster. So we spend the OTAs and the veteran minicamp really uh, deep diving into evaluating every single player on our roster. Spent a ton of time doing that in training camp in the early portions of preseason so that our scouts can be equipped to go out and look around uh, the rest of the league so that they can identify possibly where we can improve. 
Um, the second phase of that, obviously, is partnering with the coaches and uh, fairly evaluating all our players that are currently on our roster so that when and if those players come available in the league, we have the ability to compare and contrast. Um, the third phase of that, obviously, is you are constantly contingency planning. So we will always uh, estimate what, what we may need, and if we need player A, what's going what's gonna to be our options? What are the internal solutions, and then what are the external solutions? So over this weekend, our scouts were here for countless hours. I mean, we put three or four hardworking weeks into the preseason evaluations around the league, but when the 53-man uh, waiver, waiver claim came down, we were, able, we were awarded three players, three players we think that could help us here as we enter the season. When you get to those final players in a position group, is it more about special teams with those guys or maybe they mature into great position players or a combination of things? How do you weigh that out? It's certainly a combination of both, but but here at the Texans, we're going to put a large amount of emphasis in our skill, in our big skill players, which basically is the defensive backs, wide receivers, and the big skill guys are the running backs, the tight ends, the fullback, and the linebackers. Anybody that's going to be a backup caliber player, we, we need their ability to contribute on fourth down and special teams, and that will greatly uh, increase their value to us as it relates to the combination of, of the evaluation at their position, but also on fourth down because we only dress 46. There's 22 starters, so the balance of those players we're hoping have special teams value and help can help Brad Seeley. You keep three quarterbacks. Joe Webb, he's been an exciting player to watch in the preseason. What about what he brings to the table now that he's on the 53? I've said this numerous times about Joe, being familiar with him from my, my previous year in Buffalo, is Joe is a football player who happens to play quarterback, but he's a utility-type uh, skill set where he's played quarterback in the past, he's played receiver in the past. And to Joe's credit, he played well on fourth down this preseason on special teams, and, and he, he earned the right to be on the team. So however we're going to use him, whether it's from the quarterback position, the receiver position, or, or equally on fourth down, Joe has a very good chance to, to be a contributing player for us in some capacity this season. Shane Leckler was a very popular, well-known player in Houston. What about Trevor Daniel? He must be special, at least as a rookie. So what are we seeing here? First and foremost, uh, Shane Leckler, Texas legend, Texans legend and we want to honor his legacy and all the things he did for us here uh, while he was a Texan but as it relates to Trevor Daniel he is a young talented punter with a lot of a lot of leg talent who in situational uh, capacities he's pretty advanced for a young punter meaning uh, 50 yard line going in uh, kicking from your own zone going out uh, also the ability to locate the ball in terms of touch and placement, uh, are, you know, angling the ball. Those are some things maybe some young punters are learning once they come into the league. We feel like he has an advanced skill set in that area. And what he needs to do is just can continue to improve and, and be more consistent. And I think he's a young talent who has a large upside in this league, and we're excited to, to have him on the team. We caught up with you at the Greenbrier a lot, evaluating position groups. And one player we didn't get to much is Vincent Smith, the rookie receiver. So tell us about him now that he's on the 53-man roster, Brian. You've heard me say this before, Mark. We've put a large emphasis on height, weight, speed. And we feel that if we, have, if we do that, we're going to have some of those transferable skill sets show up on fourth down as well. But Vincent's six foot two and change. He's right around 200 pounds. He was a 4-4-0 guy coming out. So the height, weight, speed gave him, I think, some ability to advance and to develop. And to Vincent's credit, I think he got better every week. And he positioned himself at the finish line to compete for a roster spot. And, and we felt like he was one of the top 53. And he earned the right to be on the team. And now it's his job to, to keep that right. 
And as a young player in the league, when you're on the fringe of making it, maybe not making it, you know, you have to earn that spot basically every week. And we're hoping he's going to continue to ascend as it relates to his advancement through the season. But but one thing that stood out for him, for me with Vincent, was like you, you felt his speed on the field. He had, he had a vertical presence in the passing game. Mm-hmm. And you started to see some of those traits resonate on fourth down as it related to the third preseason game and the fourth preseason game. So we're excited about his combination skill set where he's going to offer us a presence of speed in the offense, but also that speed we're hoping is going to show up on fourth down. Now what about the new guys you added, the two defensive backs and the running back Howell? Howell is a young back that uh, we claimed off the waiver wire from uh, the the Miami Dolphins who has a a base or early down skill set, showed some ability to catch the football. He's 6 foot, 220 pounds. He ran 4-5 coming out of Florida Atlantic, but played very well on special teams. So to get a game day jersey, to get to the 46-man roster, we're, we're hoping that he can show the coaches he has the ability to con- uh, contribute on, on fourth down. We uh, claim Natrell uh, Jamerson from the New Orleans Saints. He is a defensive back by trade. He has been a cornerback and safety at uh, Wisconsin. He was recruited as a wide receiver. Um, 5'10", 200 pounds, 205 pounds, ran 4-4 row, coming out, got drafted in the fifth round by the Saints. Uh, we feel here he can be an either-or player. He can be a, a safety or a corner. He played corner this preseason for the Saints. Perhaps we'll just wait and see on how he's going to uh, integrate into the defense here, but we like his futures skill set. He has the tools and traits that we want to develop as a defensive back. <clears throat> and then A.J. Moore we claimed from the, uh, from the New England Patriots, and A.J. was a very good special teams player this preseason with uh, the New England Patriots. He's got a dominant trait of straight-line speed. We're hoping that's going to resonate well on fourth down for us when we uh, start the season here. All right, something that fans don't see much of. I know that every week you're probably going to be trying guys out. This happens around the National Football League. So this kind of thing is an ongoing thing. The 53-man roster, you never know when you might need guys or find somebody that can help you these days. So that's a twofold response. We, we often are proactive but also can be reactive in the same way. So anytime a player comes available that we may or have a degree of interest in, we're always going to – review that player to some degree and compare them to what we have. And then even if we don't sign those players, we're always going to have those guys on our ready list. So we're always ranking players. We're always prioritizing players. And then there's times and places where, look, injuries happen, and we have to be reactive. But we think our proactive approach on how we evaluate players when they do come free and when we work out guys and bring guys in for these tryouts, that we're going to be ready when those moments come when and if injuries happen to know who the next best option is. But I'll always say this, is that our, our, our first approach will always be, what are the internal solutions? Mm-hmm. Who's on our practice squad? How can we balance the roster in this situation? But if those, if those uh, scenarios don't emerge, then we're always going to be prepared for the external solutions. So our scouts are constantly contingency planning so that if this injury happened or that happened, who is the next best option? And we will do that every week of the season. <laughs> And there you go, a little Duke edge for little Brian Gain as well. We get back, let's dive into this matchup. We're going to talk about the Texans' offense against the Patriots' defense. What are the First Community Credit Union, first glance, keys to the game for Deshaun Watson in this offense on Sunday? Next, right here on Texans All Access.
Calling all Houston area teachers. Want to bring a little Texans football to your classroom? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by ConocoPhillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. That's HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. I used to love using football in my math class, so... Uh, definitely find a way to use it if you can. Kids love it. And even if they don't like football, they just like something different. There's no question. Welcome back to the show, everybody. A Friday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. All right, it's time for one of my favorite segments all week. I've been doing keys to the game for a long time. This dates all the way back to the early 2000s when I started doing this for my website, uh, View from the Sideline. And then I, then – they got seen by the powers that be at College Football News. They wanted me to do them for them. And I've been doing keys to the game ever since. And who am I? I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter. Thank you for being here on this Friday as we start breaking down this game. And we've broken it down throughout the week. But now we get into the, the X's and O's, the nitty-gritty. And not X's and O's as advanced as we can possibly go. But just some of the moving pieces in this one trying to figure out how this Texans offense is going to move the football against the New England Patriots. The first glance, keys to the game, brought to you by First Community Credit Union, FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Now, we'll do this twice. We'll do the offense now, and we'll, we will save the defense and special teams for later in the show. So let's talk about this Texans offense. Had a lot of success last year in going up to New England against that defense. Now, I think the Patriots' defense, ultimately, is better this year personnel-wise. But key number one is understanding personnel. And here's what I mean by that for the Texans. And I don't think this is difficult, but I do think it's a key to the game. And here's what I mean by that. Danny Shelton was brought to New England. He's one of the better run-stuffing nose tackles. He's about 590 pounds. Really, he's about 340 and as Drew Doherty said at the Senior Bowl a few years ago, he throws dudes around like throw pillows. He is strong. He is. He can be quick in short, small spaces. And then you got Malcolm Brown. They did have Allen Branch in the past. They would be Branch and Brown, and those guys would play the run. They would go off the field. Then they would bring on their pass rush, uh, their pass rush group. Now that pass rush group in the past included Chandler Jones, Rob Ninkovich, and some guys that could get it off the edge. Not quite the same this year, but what is key about that front is how situationally based it is. And what I mean by that is when Sheldon and Brown are in the game, the Patriots are absolutely without question unequivocally expecting the Texans to run the ball. When you see them in the game, 90-71 and 71 in the game, they are expecting the Texans to run the ball. When you see number 70, Adam Butler, in the game, more than likely you're going to see him next to number 94, Adrian Claiborne, inside, and that's the key. Adrian Claiborne outside with those two big run stuffers, they're thinking run all day. You run into that, it's almost like Tecmo Bowl. If you ever played Tecmo Bowl a long time ago, in Tecmo Bowl it was pretty simple because with Tecmo Bowl, if you you picked your defense and it matched the exact play that the other guy picked, picked you shut the play down so it's sort of that way if you have a run called and they have the run defense in 
yes, you can you can still block it up perfectly. You can still pop a gap and end up getting a, a big play out of it. But those chances are very slim against that particular run group. Now, when they expect pass, like I said, Adam Butler were coming to game number 70. 94, Adrian Claiborne were bump inside. You will see Derek Rivers, 95, on the outside. You will see number 91, Dietrich Wise, on the outside. You will see 98, Trey Flowers, on the outside. You will see a conglomeration of guys that are not Danny Shelton and Malcolm Brown. They're expecting, at that point, for the Texans to throw the football. Now, can Butler and Claiborne hold up against the run inside? Once, maybe. Twice, possibly. But not on a consistent basis. So, understanding what personnel is in the game and then adapting. So if you can throw when they're expecting run, if you can run when they're expecting throw, the only way that you are able to do that and do it effectively if you win first down. And this may go against how the Texans look at first down. Over the years, first down has been we're going to run the football. We're going to establish the run physical up front. We're going to establish the run first down. This might be one of those situations where you throw the football because you have an opportunity with that group in the game to throw it and not have as staunch a pass rush as you could have with the other guys in the game. It's simple seemingly, but if you get yourself into second and ten and all of a sudden those those jets come on the field, so to speak, they don't really have a guy like Chandler Jones or Nikovich, but they've got some guys that can rush the passer. And if you allow them to do that, and they're just pinning their ears back and coming, then it's playing right into their hands. Brian Flores is a first-year defensive coordinator for the Patriots. He's going to get a lot of help from Bill Belichick, there's no doubt. But if you can run when they're looking throw, if you can throw when they're looking run, and you can mix things up, especially on first down, and keep them on their heels, if you get to second and six, second and five consistently, the Patriots are in a world of trouble. Because now you have no idea what to do. Now they have no idea how to play it. Do they need to put their pass rush group in there? What are they going to do? Understanding their front personnel. Next key for facing the New England Patriots. Secondary. Who do you want to attack and how? When the Patriots in the past faced the Texans, it was all about doubling DeAndre Hopkins. And that cost them pretty significantly in the game last year. They would double Hopkins, and in doing so, they left one-on-one coverage for Bruce Ellington. They left one-on-one coverage for Ryan Griffin. So how will the Patriots go about it this time? Because if they double Hopkins, the same situations are going to be afforded to the Texans' offense. But Hopkins still got his last year. He still had receptions. He still was able to work free from Stephon Gilmore. Now, in the past, what the Patriots did was they took Malcolm Butler and they would put him on the number two wide receiver, and then they would take Logan Ryan and give Ryan all kinds of help over the top to handle Hopkins. And then Butler handled his business one-on-one. Well, there's no Butler. There's no Ryan. Now, there is a Stephon Gilmore, and then there's a question mark. Who plays the other side? Is it going to be Eric Rowe? Taller, longer player, but a guy that has not had a ton of success covering in general, and if he's not getting much help from the pass rush, then he's going to be out on an island. That could be that could be trouble for them. They're going to have to give Eric Rowe some help. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them put Rowe on Hopkins because he's bigger, stronger, and physical. 
And they're like, Gilmore will go one-on-one and whoever's on the other side. Be it Will Fuller or Vincent Smith or Sammy Coates or whichever other receiver is available and ready to go. Where it becomes an interesting call for the Patriots is what to do about these tight ends. I would think they're going to try and keep Devin McCourty and Ryan Griffin if at all possible. So that means if there are two tight ends in the game, be it Jordan Akins or Jordan Thomas, that guy is going to see Patrick Chung, number 23. I think that's a matchup that any of those tight ends can win and win it handily. Bigger, stronger, faster. That's what they have in those guys. So if Chung is matched up on one of those guys, I think you can go to that well. Now keep an eye on Chung floating around the line of scrimmage. And watching him in the preseason, he makes more plays near the line of scrimmage when he's there and he seems more comfortable there and more effective there than when he is having to be in coverage. But a lot of times when he's lined up close, he's coming. There is no question he is coming. So knowing the personnel and then how you're going to attack and how you are going to attack the passing game, figuring out early on how they want to cover you, and then adapting and adjusting along the way. Because last year, Bruce had some success early on, and then they sort of changed the coverage a little bit, but they kept the double on Hopkins. Now, as it pertains to DeAndre, getting, getting DeAndre opened, doing some things to get him the ball, whether it's using him in the slot, we've seen the Texans do that before, that could be something. Using him on a sole receiver side, just one-on-one, load up trips on one side, put DeAndre in the other and let him go to work. We've seen him do that. There are different ways to get DeAndre just flat out one-on-one, and the Texans have got to scheme those up. Now the last one, we always talk about run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. I don't know if running the ball this week is massively important from a, well, we had a 150-yard game. We don't. I don't think the Texans need a 150-yard rushing game to win this game. I don't. I don't think they need a 150-yard rushing game. They ran the ball last year 32 times, 125 yards. And should have won the game. So, I mean, you could say that 125 yards at that point ends up being maybe the benchmark. I don't know if you need to get that. Lamar had 14 for 56. Deontay Foreman had 8 for 25. And Deshaun had 8 for 41. But I do think if you can run the ball, if you can get to second and five, and they guess and they put that pass rush group in there, if you can pop something inside with Lamar Miller, if you can hammer a little bit with Alfred Blue, then I think you've got an opportunity, not, again, not to rush for 150 yards, not to do anything of that caliber, but just keep them off balance enough. Just do it enough. I don't know how many designed runs Coach will have in a game plan for Deshaun. Last year, there were a few. There were, uh, there were a couple times where it was just a straight-out quarterback draw. I don't know if they'll have that this year. I do know that they will present some different pictures for the edge players in particular, be it zone read, be it some RPO stuff. I do think that will be part of the game plan. And it should be with a guy like Deshaun. Deshaun ends up being one of the best offensive linemen because you have to account for him in everything that they do, especially the run game. If he puts the ball in a quarter, if he puts the ball in a running back's belly, Patriots have got to know where he is. But I don't know how many design runs they'll have. But if it's just enough to keep them off balance, just enough. And remember, sometimes the run game 
is just, or excuse me, the short passing game is just an extension off the run game. So if you're hitting those slot receivers or you're getting the ball to Lamar Miller on swing routes, little flat routes, things like that, that's just an extension of the run game. That works just as well. Last year, Lamar only had one catch. I wouldn't be surprised to see him come up with a few more. Deontay had two. Again, I wouldn't be surprised to see the backs come up with a few more. Their backs are going to catch a ton. I won't be surprised if these backs for the Texans are going to catch a few as well. So there you go. Offensive keys to the game. We come back. It's time to pick these games. You got 14 games on Sunday. You Excuse me, you got 13 games on Sunday, and you got two more on Monday night. We'll pick them all. Against the spread straight up next, right here as we go around the NFL on Texans All Access. We're halfway home on a Friday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris. Glad to be with you. Taking off for New England in the morning. And by New England, look, New England's an area. We're taking off for Providence. So excited to get up to Providence. I know people say, Providence, why are you excited to go to Providence? That's where I went to school. I went to Brown University. It's in Providence, Rhode Island. So I'm looking forward to get back up there and see the campus. Man, I've been back in quite some time. So definitely looking forward to that. All right, I gave you some keys to the game in the last segment. Now, we got a lot of games this weekend. This Sunday, starting at 1 o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock local time. The NFL really gets going in earnest. We saw the Falcons and Eagles on Thursday night. I don't want to say it was a disaster of a game, but, man, the first half, after rain delay, which I'm sure didn't help TV ratings at all, and people are jumping all over the fact that it was low TV ratings, but it was off for an hour, and there are a lot of people that did other things. I did. I went out and got... Some groceries, and I, in fact, was listening to the Kevin Harlan Boomer Esiason radio call on the way home. And as I as I was coming back from the store, and Boomer Esiason was losing his mind about the Falcons not putting Julio Jones on the field on, I think it was fourth and one. With good reason. I've never understood this. Your best player, put him on a damn field. I, I was with Boomer. He's, he kind of went on for a little while, and I'm sure people were like, well, why is he going? They deserved it. There's no question about that. All right. Each and every Friday, I will it'll either be this segment or the next segment, but I I go around the NFL and instead of giving you the stories of the day and things like that, I like to talk about the games themselves. And there are thirteen games on Sunday. There are two more on Monday night. We always get that doubleheader on Monday night the first week. In fact, last time the Texans were on the road in 2013, they played that Monday night game, that second Monday night game, and beat the Chargers. I think everybody was up to like 1 in the morning watching that game. So let's get into it. Let's start with these 13 games. I will pick them against the spread and straight up as I do all the time. And it's just a way to talk about the game. I'm not telling you to go to Vegas and put all your money on this and that, but do what you got to do. I'll give you the spread. We'll talk about the game. And it's just a way to kind of bring these games all to the forefront and talk about the NFL a little bit more. So let's get – oh, wait a second. Wait a second. 
There it is. I need my music. I need to have my music. I can only pick games with my music rolling. All right, let's start. Let's go to Baltimore where the Buffalo Bills take on the Baltimore Ravens. In a game that last year, these two teams were in competition for that sixth playoff spot. Andy Dalton pulled a fourth down play from nowhere. And the Bengals beat the Ravens. The Bills celebrated. The Bills went to the playoffs, lost to the Jags in the first round. This Bills squad, not the same. Ravens squad, similar, maybe a little different. Maybe the pressure on Joe Flacco with Lamar Jackson drafted in the first round. This is a Ravens team that is getting a lot, a lot of hype. I don't know why. I I don't totally see it. But this Ravens team, people think, going to bounce back this year I I suppose I guess that could happen Baltimore is healthy healthier than they were last year they'll get Marsha Yonda back I don't think the Ravens are a great team that said I think the Bills might be one of the five worst teams in the NFL they will start Nathan Peterman the last time he started a game he threw five interceptions in a half Baltimore is favored by seven and a half I think they beat the Bills by 10 or more at home so let's take the Ravens to win straight up and against the 7.5. We'll lay the 7.5, and and we will take the Baltimore Ravens to win and to cover. Let's go to Cleveland. The hard knocks Cleveland Browns now have stripes on their helmets. Yay! The Steelers do not have Le'Veon Bell as of this point. There was a rumor today that he would be coming back on Saturday so he'd get paid but potentially not play. I don't know how that's going to work, but... There's no Le'Veon Bell, but there is a James Conner. And he is not Le'Veon Bell, but that dude will run hard. He will make it very difficult for the uh, Cleveland Browns to stop him on a consistent basis. Now, the Browns are better. There's no question the Browns are better. How much better? Well, they're only a a four-and-a-half-point dog at home after a year in which they went 0-16. I don't think the Browns can win this game. I do think it will be close. I do think it will be within a touchdown but I think that's about it. I think the Steelers will grind one out. This feels like 24-17, 28-21, something in that area. Terod Taylor will get the ball in the end zone, but not enough. The Steelers get the win. They will cover the four and a half and get the win outright. The next game on our list, oh, it's a division game. And by division game, I mean AFC South division game. The Colts, the Andrew Luck-led Colts are a three-point dog. Check that. A three-point favorite? Wait a second. The Colts are favored? Forget it. Andrew Luck will come back, and he will do some good things. Cincinnati's going to go to Indianapolis and beat them straight up, and Indianapolis favorite. Now, they're favored by three, so that means they think these teams are even. I don't think that. I think, yes, having Andrew Luck is good for the Colts, I think they're going to want to make a good impression for Frank Reich. I think this team will be prepared. I think they'll play hard. But I still think that roster is limited. I think the Bengals will come in and get the win and win by more than three. So, obviously, the Bengals will get the cover and an outright win at Indianapolis over the Indianapolis Colts. Man, Indianapolis favored by three, huh? Let's go down to Miami. Another AFC South Division game. The Tennessee Titans travel to Hard Rock Stadium to take on the Miami Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins 
I am not in the Dolphins' corner this year. I, I think this could be a tough year for Miami and for Adam Gase. I think Adam Gase is a good coach. I think he did some work the last couple of years to get what he thinks are, I don't say bad apples, but just guys that he didn't want to coach anymore out of that organization, especially this past year, Dominican Sue and Jarvis Landry. He just, I don't think he wanted to coach those guys anymore. I think it's, it, it, that's, it's as clear as that. And the Dolphins moved those guys, ended up with draft picks coming back. Mike Vrabel will coach his first time for the Tennessee Titans. I would love to see the Dolphins knock off the Titans. I would love to see it. I don't think there's any way in you know what it happens. I think that Tennessee, favored by one, essentially it's a pick em. I think Tennessee goes down to Miami, gets an ugly win, hands Mike Vrabel a game ball, and the Titans get ready for the Texans in week two up in Nashville. So we're going Titans to win and cover that once. Go to the NFC where the San Francisco 49ers travel to take on the Minnesota Vikings. What a fun matchup this is. Kyle Shanahan on one side, once coached Kirk Cousins, who will start for the first time for the Minnesota Vikings. Jimmy G has not lost a start for the 49ers. This one's going to be tough. The Vikings have compiled one of the best defensive units in the NFL. The Vikings are favored by 6.5. That 6.5 is key. If it were 7 or more, I might not say this, but I do think... At 6.5, Minnesota will get the cover. This feels 34. No, that's too much. I feel like 24-17. Jimmy G will put the ball in the end zone a little bit. He doesn't have the weapons that he will have in the future. But I think the Vikings make it happen just enough. And if they're able to get pressure on Jimmy G, he is liable to throw them one as he forces the ball when he gets pressure. Not like a lot of quarterbacks, but he gets a little impatient. And he will throw you one if you get some pressure on him. So Minnesota with that front is going to have to produce pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo. And I think they will. Minnesota gets the win and the cover. Six and a half again, that spread for the Vikings. And then you got your Texans. You know, as I've said a million times, I never go against heart and head. I don't even care if the Texans were a four-point underdog. Texans to win and cover. They're six and a half point favorite. That's come down. That was, I think, seven and a half. Let me see what the most recent... What's the most recent one here? It's now down to six in some places. That was seven and a half to start the week. So some money in Vegas or wherever is going to the Texans. People expecting the Texans. Enough big money on the Patriots side, which is to be expected when a team has not lost to another team ever in their particular building and they're playing for the fourth time in two years and they still have Tom Brady. It's not surprising that more money would be going to the Patriots. So let's make them fools, and hopefully big money loses big money on Sunday. Let's go down to New Orleans. The Saints are taking on the Ryan Fitzpatrick-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Wait, what? Yeah, Jameis Winston suspended for the first three games of the year, which means Fitzy's put in charge of the Tampa Bay offense in the Superdome. And that shows the point spread. The Saints are nine-and-a-half-point favorites. I still don't think that's enough. I think the Saints will cover that 9.5. The Saints will win outright. Mark Ingram will be suspended, but they still have Alvin Kamara, and that's enough. And that defense is even better with the addition of Marcus Davenport off the edge. The Saints will get a W and set the tone for another 2018. Keep in mind, the Saints lost the first two last year and then a great year after that. I think this year they win week one, and they still have a great year after that. So they'll get the win against Tampa Bay. 
and then the Saints get Cleveland before they have two road trips to Atlanta and the Giants. So the Saints have got to get this one to get off to a good start before Cleveland comes calling next week. Up next, the Giants. Oh, the Giants. This could be this could be one of the matchups of the weekend. I, I think a sneaky matchup. Because when you look at the records from last year, Jaguars ten and six, Giants three and thirteen, you think, hey, wait a second. This should be a blowout, right? No, I think the Giants are going to be much better. If a team is going to bounce back and bounce back in a big way, I think it could be the Giants. You add Saquon Barkley, OBJ comes back, Eli's still in charge. I think the defense will play a little bit better for the Giants. But it's Jalen Ramsey versus Odell Beckham Jr. Blake Bortles versus Eli Manning. The Giants are a three-point dog at home. I kind of like that. I like it for the Giants. I'm going to take the Giants to not only cover the three, but to win straight up in an upset of a team everybody thinks is going back to the Super Bowl. This is a big one for the Jags because after this, they've got three straight home games, New England, Tennessee, and the Jets. They get this one, then obviously they get New England, which is going to be tough. And hopefully the Texans will beat them so New England knows it's got to have week two down in Jacksonville and plays desperate to get that win. Man, I would love to see the Jags jump off to 0-2. Oh, I would love it. But I think the Giants are going to get the win. The Giants get the win. As such, they will get the cover. Giants over the Jags. Jalen Ramsey loses his mind as Odell Beckham Jr. makes another tremendous catch. And the Giants eke one out at home. 21-20 over the Jacksonville Jaguars. AFC West battle against two teams. I don't say going in opposite directions but sort of flipped a little bit. Last year, I think everybody was on the Chiefs bandwagon, and the Chargers were solid. This year, I think it's the other way around. The Chargers have got a bunch of people on the bandwagon, and the Chiefs, not not restarting, but retooling, if you will. Patrick Mahomes takes over at quarterback for the Chiefs, and he's going to put a lot of pressure on the Chargers, especially if it's a Chargers defense without Joey Bosa. Now, Bosa was pictured at today's practice in a walking boot. Does that mean by Sunday he will not play? Oh, that could be huge in this game against the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, the Chargers are still going to end up being favored playing in L.A. In fact, they're a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I think this one is close. I think it's a typical AFC West battle between these two teams that comes down to the final gun or even goes into overtime. I'm going to take the Chiefs to cover the three-and-a-half, get inside that number, but the Chargers to win. They lost a lot of close games last year. I think the Chargers get a close one. Even with or without Bosa, they will get a close one. This feels like 29-26 Chargers. That'll get the Chiefs to cover the Chargers the outright win. That's an afternoon game in the AFC. You've also got another afternoon game, the Redskins and Cardinals. And, guys, I will be honest with you, I have no idea what to think about these two teams. None. And the Texans play the Redskins. I No idea what to think about the Washington Redskins. Arizona's favored by a point. It's basically a pick em. At this point, I'm going with the home team. I think that defense is still pretty talented in Arizona. Steve Wilkes, the new head coach with a defensive mindset. I think that the Cardinals get the W. Alex Smith will make his Redskins debut but I don't think it's enough. I feel like the Cardinals are going to get this one with David Johnson back. 
And with Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald, I think the Cardinals end up making a statement early on. They get the win over Washington. The Cardinals jump to 1-0. The Redskins 2-0-1. The Cowboys travel to Carolina. Cam Newton is back. He is healthy. Does he have enough weapons? They added DJ Moore in the draft out of Maryland. He's eventually going to be a player. Christian McCaffrey is back. No more Jonathan Stewart. He is now a New York Giant. Dallas, what do they have in the passing game? Well, we're about to find out. Carolina's favored by three. I think they cover and they get the win. Taking the Panthers in this one, sending the Cowboys to 0-1 on the season. That will take us to Seahawks and Broncos. Two teams, again, I don't know. I have no good feel for. I really don't. Read an article about the Seahawks today and what they've gone through the last few years. I think the Seahawks will play freer. I think the defense won't be as impactful. But they still have got Bobby Wagner. They still have got K.J. Wright. They still got Jerron Reed. They still got guys that can play. Denver, they've got Von Miller. And now they've got Case Keenum. This one I think is going to be close. Denver is favored by three. That's probably about right. It's right at it. I think Denver will get a very close win. This feels 21-17, 28-24. Let's go with Denver to get the win and cover just barely. That leads us to Sunday night. The Packers, the Bears. The Bears may be the most improved talent-wise team in the league. They had Allen Robinson. They added Khalil Mack. They now take on the Packers. Aaron Rodgers is back. I think the Packers will get this win. I think the Bears are much better. They will get better. The Packers are seven-point favorite. I think this is right at seven. This feels like 24-17, but I'll take the Packers to win, and I would take it a push because I think it's right at seven, but I'll take the Packers to cover as well. That leads us to our two games on Monday night. The early game on Monday night is the Jets at the Lions. The Jets would be better, but this is Sam Darnold's opener. He's going to start three of the first four games on the road. That's going to be tough. Detroit under Matt Patricia, I think, will be a little bit better coached. It will be a little bit better organized. I think offensively they'll run the ball a little bit more. Carryon Johnson is big in that. I think the Lions, by six and a half, it feels a bit much. So let's get the Lions a win. Let's get the Jets to cover to get inside the six and a half. And then you got the Rams and the Raiders. The Raiders are a four-point dog at home. At home, the Raiders are only are a four-point dog. I think the Rams are going to walk in there and curb stop the Raiders. I think this is going to be a tough rebuild for John Gruden. The Rams will get a big win and obviously a big cover. So there you go. There are all your games this weekend. We get back. It's time to get to our keys to the game on the defensive side of the ball. Watt, Clowney, Merciless, Matthew, Joseph, Johnson, Jackson, Reed. What does that group have to do Sunday? to help this Texans organization get its first win in Gillette Stadium. We'll talk about that next right here on Texas All Access.
Welcome back to a Friday edition of Texas All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. So glad to be with you this evening. Hopefully you're nice and dry. I'm sure there are drops throughout the city, and we've got high school football going on throughout the city. I mean, it's a Friday night at Texas. It's got to be high school football going on, right? Hopefully you are on your way to a game, at a game, and you're listening through the app, or I don't know, you're... Maybe, maybe you're getting it on uh, Saturday when you're out and about doing errands. But thank you for listening to Texans All Access. Really appreciate that. All right, it is time for our first glance. Keys to the game brought to you by First Community Credit Union, FCCU, the official credit union of the Houston Texans. Now, I gave you our offensive keys earlier in this game. And I, I, I think those are pretty pretty straightforward. In fact, I didn't even... I don't even think in those that I mentioned Deshaun Watson. And the only thing I mentioned about Deshaun was the design runs and what the Texans will do. Obviously, first and foremost is protecting Deshaun. But I almost felt like that went without saying. So, we talked about the offense. Let's get into the defense. Last year had a pretty – up front had a pretty similar group going in that game. Had Watt, had Merciless, had Clowney. They hit Brady – up one side and down the other. They blasted him. They ended up with five sacks. They had eight tackles for a loss. Sorry, seven tackles for a loss. They had eight quarterback hits. Clowney had three. Watt had two. And then there was one from Merciless, McKinney, Covington. I think Gilchrist had one that forced a fumble. So they got after Brady last year. There's no question about that. Now, one thing I think the Texans will be able to do with all of those guys now healthy, Reeder and Covington back in the mix one thing they're going to have to do, and I learned this watching uh, not America's game, but the NFL Films now does two shows for the Super Bowl winner. They do one where they talk to the players, and they call it America's game. And then they have one show where they talk to the coaches and the coaching staff. And one thing that the, the Eagles found out, the Eagles defensive line found out in that game, was the Patriots were sliding David Andrews. Now, the, now the Eagles are, are more a 4-3 team. So... Plenty of times in a 4-3 team, the center is uncovered. That was David Andrews. So the, the center in on pass plays has the opportunity when he's uncovered, is he going to help to the left? Is he going to help to the right? Or does he help on a particular player? Well, in that game in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, Fletcher Cox is the best Eagles defensive lineman. And Andrews would slide his protection to Fletcher Cox every time. So what the Eagles did was they put Fletcher Cox almost as a decoy to make sure that he drew David Andrews' block. And then what that did was they moved Brandon Graham, who's typically as a defensive end, they moved him inside. And then Graham was able to go one-on-one against Shaq Mason. He beat Mason. He stripped the ball from Tom Brady. And the rest, obviously, is history. Now, how does that pertain to the Texans? I know there are a lot of times where Watt and Clowney are on the outside, but if they're going to treat that same situation, I'd almost guarantee you it's Watt that is the guy they're going to double. But either way, if Andrew slides to Watt, then Clowney's one-on-one against one of the guards. Clowney can win those matchups. If it's they want to double Clowney, then it's Watt going one-on-one, and he can win those matchups. But either way, figuring out which guy it is, are they sliding to Watt, or are they sliding Andrews over to Clowney? Which guy are inside are they sliding to? Now, when Watt and Clowney are on the outside, 
they're going to try and chip a little bit, and they're probably going to chip on Watt, I would imagine, more so. That that freed up Clowney a lot to get there last year. Watt will get the double teams. He will get the chips. It's automatic when he's out there. Inside, I would almost guarantee you they're not going to allow Watt to go one-on-one against the guard. They're just, they're just not going to. So that's one of the things they can do to scheme up is say, okay, they're doubling or they're sending Andrews, sliding Andrews over to Watt. J.J., you keep rushing, but you're going to get the double team, whoever's that other guy, be it Clowney, be it Reeder, be it Covington, that guy must win one-on-one. He must win. And they all can. That's the thing. They all can win inside. Now, what about Whitney? We've seen Whitney in the past when they go to that diamond formation where Witt is in the middle, Watt and Clowney outside. They show the two linebackers inside. So it's essentially a three-linebacker inside. It's Witt over the center. And then it's Zach and Bernardrick kind of mugging up in the, in the B-gaps over the guards. And then Watt and Clowney coming from the outside. That way they cannot help on Watt and Clowney with any of the inside guys. It can only be a back or a tight end that does it. And then Whitney's going one-on-one against the center. And he has whipped that center before. So there are a lot of different ways they can attack David Andrews, the center. And it's because Andrews is, is, is a bad player, quite the contrary. But they know they have to help Thune and Mason against Clowney, against Watt, against Reeder, against uh, Covington. They're going to have to help. You're not going to go one-on-one and Andrews is just going to float. He's going to slide one way or the other depending on the most dangerous guy. For the Eagles, that was definitely Fletcher Cox. Against the Texans, you got to figure out which guy they think it is. My guess is right out of the shoot, it's going to be Watt if Watt's inside. But if they're both outside, I can guarantee you they're going to get tight ends and they're going to get chips all, all day long. But when those guys go inside, that's where they might have the opportunity to eat a little bit. All right, that's up front. Now, with the secondary, we talk about disguises. Everybody loves Halloween, right? You get to dress up. Oh, what are you? Oh, I went as a ghost. Oh, what are you? Oh, I went as Leslie Nope from uh, Parks and Rec. It's disguises, right? That's all Halloween is, is you're wearing a costume or a disguise. Well, the secondary for the Texans has got to wear a disguise this week, and they've got to wear them well. And what I mean by that is in the secondary, when you play a particular you, – you know what you're going to play. And, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple, right? You know what a disguise is. You show one thing, but it's really another. So that's essentially what the secondary needs to do. It's going to show Tom Brady one thing, but it's going to play another. Now, Tom has seen it all, really, right? I mean, Tom's seen everything. I don't think there's anything that Tom hasn't seen. He's seen pretty much everything. But what you would like to be able to – what you don't want to do is to give him the answers to the test. At least make him answer the question. What I mean by that is he's going to do some things early on that – will cause your disguise to blow up. And with safeties back there like Tyron Matthew and Justin Reed and Kareem Jackson, those guys have never played safety against Tom Brady. Reed and Matthew have never played Brady. Jackson, Kareem Jackson has played against Brady mostly. I would say 98% of the time it's been over at corner. A little bit of time in a playoff game at safety. But point being, you got to hold your water with the disguise. I know that's tough, and I know it's hard, especially with Brady, because he'll do some different things. He'll get up to the line of scrimmage or even be in a shotgun, and he'll give you a hard count, hot, 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 and he'll try and get guys to move just slightly. And if they lean one way or the other, Brady knows. 
So they're going to have to hold their water with the disguises. And it might be something in which they get themselves maybe out of position, like right at the snap, and you've got to sprint to coverage. But you cannot give away the answers to the test with your disguises. If you cheat the disguise, he will figure it out, and you gave him the answer to the test. And the better your disguises, the more he's going to have to hold the football, the more opportunity you have to get the big fellas there to get sacks and hits on a quarterback. Now, we have seen in two games, the playoff game and then last year's game, I have seen Brady take a pounding both times. I mean, I have seen him get absolutely obliterated. Christian drilled him from the backside last year. Clowney got him. Merciless got him. He took a pounding in the playoff game. Clowney knocked him every which way, and he kept getting up. But the thing is, some of those hits he won't take if he knows exactly what you're doing. The secondary cannot give away their disguises. Cannot. Now, one of the ways in which Brady has hurt the Texans in the past is with the running backs. And that's one of the things I anticipate the Patriots doing all year long. The running backs are absolutely, without question, paramount to this offense. Why? Well, there's no Amendola, there's no Edelman, there's no Cooks, at least not in this one. That's the only one that really matters to me. You're without those three guys. Those guys, if they were there, would account for probably 25 to 30 targets. Those targets now have to go to James White and Rex Burkhead and potentially Sony Michelle. The running backs are going to see the football. Now, the Patriots are okay with that because, against the Texans in particular, because in years past, that meant Deion Lewis was getting one-on-one with Bernardrick, or he's getting one-on-one with the linebacker, and that was going to be a matchup that Deion Lewis could win. Well, now it's James White. And James White can win matchups against linebackers, but you have Zach Cunningham and Dylan Cole. Those are two linebackers that can run with any running back in the league. We saw Zach Cunningham last year cover Le'Veon Bell one-on-one on a slant route and stuck to his hip and knocked it away. Bell had no shot. See Dylan Cole run with Duke Johnson all the way down the sideline and come up with a pick in one-on-one coverage. Those guys can run with these running backs. And that is probably going to get Dylan Cole on the field maybe a little bit more. The game's got to play out. Doesn't mean that Bernardrick comes off, but it just might mean that you play Dylan Cole a little bit more because he can run with those running backs. And maybe you show some different fronts to the Patriots that include all three linebackers, Cunningham, Cole, and McKinney. But those two are going to take on the challenge of staying with running backs. Not the easiest thing in the world, but it's definitely something that they've got to do. You've got to figure out what to do with Gronk. I don't know if there's any easy answer to that. And then, as I said earlier, you've got to hit Brady every single time he throws. Eight hits last year, it's got to be 12. You never know which one's going to turn into a turnover and one that you need desperately. So there you go. Those are your first community credit union, first glance. Keys to the defensive side of the ball. Oh, and on punt returns. Last year, Amendola had two punt returns for 53 yards. That cannot happen. Cannot happen. Punt returns have got to be held under and into single digits. That's it. Single-digit returns, that's all they can have. More than that, it ends up being trouble. Amendola was a key. We'll see who it is for the Patriots this year. All right, we get back. It's player reporter. It's final word with Drew Doherty. You listen to Texans All Access.
We've got one final segment of Texans All Access for you from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst and silent reporter, and I love doing the Friday show because it's the last show of ours before we have kickoff on Sunday. So I'm kind of the I'm kind of the last word, if you will. Now we're gonna give the final word to Drew here in just a little bit, but we got plenty to do in this final segment, including one of my favorite segments of the entire week, and it's called Player Reporter. Player Reporter is brought to you by Arctic, the official coolers and tumblers of the Houston Texans. Visit RTICcoolers.com. Arctic Coolers, overbuilt, not overpriced. Kareem Jackson has been our player reporter for, I think, a couple of years now. And he's really kind of taken to the role. And when our crew went in the locker room on Wednesday, he didn't even miss a beat. He ran right over, grabbed the mic, and was like, this is KJAC TV. This is my show. Here's Player Reporter with Kareem Jackson. All right, well, let's, we jump, let's jump right in. There's a couple questions, man. You know how KJAC TV oh, do yeah, it, man. man. I've been trying questions. to get on the TV for the longest, bro. All right, well, What's you here now, brother. You are here. Man, you man. are here, brother. Yes, sir. Which teammate would you let run your Instagram for a day? Ooh, that's a good question, man. Be honest, I'll probably let you run on my Instagram for a day. <laughs> That's a great choice. <laughs> why why'd you say me? Dab down on Instagram, man. You know? You know, I, 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 I've never seen Jack's post. You know, this man suited and bought it. Uh, it, might, it might be you. Mm. I've seen all them, all them uh, kicks you mm. got, all that clothes. You got a magazine mm. cover. Brian Peters. Brian Peters. Somebody else said that today too. What, what's so interesting about Brian Peters? Man, he, you know, he does a great job with like, you know, uh, portrait mode on the, on mm. the, on the so, phone. So he's, so he's with he the got filters. That eye. He, yeah. he got the, the filters all day. I mean, I could look jacked up something. He gonna edit that joint out. Probably Whitney. You let Whitney run your Instagram for a day? Why is that? Because he barely posts anything. So. Okay, that's smart. I, I, I let you run it for a day. You let me run it? You're the third person that said that today. Who can't run your Instagram? That man right there, Bernardrick McKinney. Why? Why? Why'd you say that? That man right over there, because that's a that's a wild that's a wild man. I don't know what he might try to put up. Who can't run your Instagram for a day? Ryan Peters. Why is that? It's my arch nemesis. Oh, okay, okay. Well, that's that's a good reason why. Yeah. Probably Hop. You won't let Hop run it? No. Hop pretty interesting on Instagram. Why not? Cause he go live every morning, like everybody oh. sleeps. Like, he waking everybody up with the notification. Yeah, he do stay live a lot. All right, man, Justin Battermost right here. KJ TV, well, that, we out, baby. That's all the questions we had, man. That was a short, that was a pretty short. Well, you ain't got no. I just had a couple, that's all. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions. This is my show. You can't ask me questions on my show, man. Oh, Only right. person control this is me. I thought we were having a conversation. We had it. Okay. Now it's over. Appreciate you, baby. We're going to have you back on. You're locked right here. Yeah, so we're going to have you back on. Yeah, soon. Okay. All right, man. We out. (laughs) There are certainly some personalities in that locker room, to say the least. Kareem Jackson leads the group. But to me, the best thing about Player Reporter is the yin and yang of Kareem Jackson and Bernardrick McKinney. Bernardrick, a little subdued. I don't know the haircut. Did it for him. He looks completely different, by the way. My goodness. I didn't even recognize him when he came in the locker room with that haircut. It took me a second. But then again, as I heard somebody remark on uh, Sports Radio 610 the other day, and I don't remember who it is, 6'4", 255, yeah, you can kind of figure it out at some point because they don't make them like that too often. Now, Kareem Jackson has been here since 2010. 
Jonathan Joseph has been here since 2011, and those two have been running buddies ever since. And Drew Doherty has the final word this week with Jonathan Joseph. Thank you so much, fellas. We've got cornerback Jonathan Joseph here, and it's always fun starting the season off, and it's even more exciting when you take on the New England Patriots. We'll get to that in a moment. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine, man. You know, I'm year 13. Um, training camp's behind me, so I made it out of there healthy, unscathed. So just looking forward to the regular season, man, just, you know, ready to get things kicked off and started. Yeah, you got me excited because I heard about that interview with the guys on Sports Radio 610. You said you're feeling great. You're ready for this year. It's going to be a fantastic year. Sammy Coates, we talked with him. He believes it. He said, yeah, that guy's <laughs> looking like he's at the top of his game. What's got you saying that? What makes you think that way? It's just the work that I put in, you know, me and my teammates, all of us uh, come in each and every day, and we just try to hit the grind, you know, um, never complain about it, never um, be satisfied at the same time also. So, you know, at this point in stage of my career, you know, I have no choice but to put it all out in line. So every time I have a chance to go on the field, I want to give it my all and give it that to my teammates, and I owe them that. Yeah, and you talk about that grind. The grind was a little bit different this offseason with Luke Richardson and his crew. You guys, I think, and what I've heard and what I've seen, you've ramped up and you're you're getting into prime form for week one for the rest of the season, aren't you? You're not at a, a different level than you have been in years past, right? Uh, yeah, you know, um, it's a new thing for us, and we've been sticking to stands and playing, sticking to course. And I think um, you look throughout training camp, we've been on the good side of injury, knock on wood. We haven't had many injuries and things like that, you know, you're going to have a few here and there, but I think the grand scheme of things is to have as many guys healthy week one, and I think we're looking at that right now. So I think um, me personally is just going through the whole process again, like going through combine training, yeah. you know, um, stretching each and every day, foam roll, um, soft tissue things. So just being able to prepare myself for a full long journey of 16 weeks of being at 100% and not telling off late in the year. And that kind of lends itself to these high expectations as a team, as a defense you guys have, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. We've been there before, and we got a lot of the same guys still here. And it's been a little turnover on this roster, but that's the way football is in this league. But I think at the same time, when you have the guys that we have on this team, our expectation level is at an all-time high. And, you know, throughout last year, a couple of years before that, we've been right at the top of this division. And, you know, we want to get right back there, and we understand how hard it is to get back to the top of this division. But at the same time, we just got to put in the work because we have the guys who are capable of getting it done. No doubt. You got those guys up front that have done that and done it spectacularly. But let's talk about the guys behind you, the safeties. There's some new faces back there and some faces that haven't been in that spot that you know very well. Tell me about the safety crew behind you. Thank you. You got um, a lot of interesting guys back there. You obviously have uh, Tyron, Kareem, Justin. Those guys, um, I think they're like uh, having three corners back there. Mm -hmm. Three guys that can run really well, play the ball, and tackle. And I think that's what this league's come to. Um, some some teams have different schemes for different guys, but I think our team, our scheme fits for guys that can run, tackle, and cover. And we got all those guys back there that play a lot of football other than Justin. But, you know, he's our first draft pick this year, so um, we try to catch him up to speed and throughout training camp. And I think us as a group, the more we communicate and play out there on the field together, the better off we'll be. So it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the corners and the safety. Tell me about preparing for Tom Brady. How do you prepare for a guy who's done so much? How do you prepare for TB12? Just don't overthink it. You know, they're going to run their same offense. They're going to run their plays. They're going to execute at the high level. I think it's about just going out there and competing each and every play, each and every snap, and just putting your will up against their will. I think that's the one way you have to go out there and approach the game against those guys because they're going to, you know, throw a few wrinkles at you here and there, but for the most part they're going to use their bread and butter and do what they do really well and what they've done over time. And I think for us it's just about going out and executing our defense and sticking to the game plan. Yeah, and their wide receiver core has been tinkered with. There's a lot of faces that you haven't seen before there. What do you have to prepare for when you prepare for those pass catchers? They always find a guy. So, you know, 
you can never count it out. And I don't really get into co- up to looking against uh, the guys that's actually in there. You know, obviously you got to cover those guys, so you can't take a guy for granted. But it's more so the scheme, the plays they're running, route concepts and things like that. So that's what we want to put more focus on than actually a guy. Obviously they're going to have their playmakers and guys they like to go to, but I think the more you can understand route concepts, what they want to do in certain situations, you can have a better grasp of what they want to do from an offensive standpoint. So with that in mind, though, how do you compensate and go against a guy like Rob Gronkowski? I know that's not necessarily going to be the guy you're matched up with every time or at all, but he's such a playmaker. He's one of the best that's ever played the game at tight end. You got to challenge him each and every play. You know, obviously he's a all pro in this league for a reason, and he has Brady throwing the ball. So, you know, he's going to make catches here and there, some spectacular, some you got to let him earn. You know, at the same time, you can't give him anything cheap. You can't give him those run and catch plays to where, you know, he's making 30 and 40-yard gains. You got to make him earn it each and every play. And I think if you just stick to that script, you know, um, things can play out in our favor. Jonathan Joseph, it's always fantastic talking with you. Best of luck at Foxborough. We'll see you again soon. No doubt. Thanks a lot. Kareem Jackson and Jonathan Joseph, player reporter, and our final word with Drew Doherty. Now, I bring up those two. Those two are the only two remaining in the secondary that started last year against Tom Brady and the Patriots offense. Kareem at one corner, Jonathan Joseph at the other. The starting safeties were Corey Moore, who is now at the Indianapolis Colts, and Andre Howe, who is fighting his way back from Hodgkin's lymphoma. Marcus Gilchrist also came into that game. Jonathan Banks also came into this game. This is a completely and totally revamped secondary. Even Kareem is moving to safety and has moved to safety. So instead of Moore and Gilchrist and Howe, you're rolling at safety with Kareem Jackson, Justin Reed, and the Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew. Instead of Kareem and J. Joe and Jonathan Banks on the corners, you're going to have Jonathan Joseph, Kevin Johnson, and you're going to have Aaron Colvin. That secondary has been revamped. This organization saw last year that it needed it, and it definitely has done that. It has made some changes, and Jonathan Joseph is really the only guy going back to his normal starting cornerback spot. Kevin Johnson as well, but Aaron Colvin brought to the mix, Justin Reed, Tyron Matthew all brought in, and Kareem Jackson moving over to safety, all for the thought of being better in games like this. When you face one of the greats, or face the great, the greatest of all time. I think Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, but I'll leave that open to interpretation for you. But facing a guy like this, obviously it makes for a very difficult afternoon and yet one you'll never you'll never forget. And this Texan secondary has faced Tom Brady starting in 2012. Faced him, and I'm talking Kareem Jackson and Jonathan Joseph, faced him in 2012, lost both games. Faced him in 13, lost that game. Faced him in 15, Lost that game. Faced him twice in 16. Lost both of those. Faced him once in 17. Lost that one. It's time for that to change. Time for that to change. Winning a road game would be huge. The Texans have not won a Sunday road game since December 11th of 2016. The only road win they had last year was on Thursday night against the Cincinnati Bengals. And they lost the last one of the 2016 season at Tennessee. December 11, 2016 at Indianapolis. The last road win on a Sunday. That at some point is going to change this year. And hopefully it changes after week one. The Patriots, the defending AFC champs, as Mark and I talked about last week. The last team to lose a Super Bowl and go back and win one was 1972. The Dolphins in Super Bowl seven. 
The Patriots feel vulnerable on paper. What does that mean? It means absolutely nothing. Because 12's pulling the trigger, Bill Belichick is calling the plays, and Josh McDaniels is leading the offense. Other than that, a lot has changed for them. Brian Flores, new defensive coordinator. The defense adding Danny Shelton and Adrian Claiborne. Offensively, all the tackles except Marcus Cannon are gone. They brought in Trent Brown to be one tackle. How long can he stay up? The inside is solid. We know that. Who catches the football outside of Gronk and Hogan? There's a lot of questions about the Patriots, but there are a lot of questions about the Texans. Is Watson fully healthy? Is he ready completely to go? We think he is. J.J. Watt, same question. We think he is. How can the Texans attack this defense? What can they do? Can they put up 30-plus points again with Deshaun back in charge? This should be a fun one. Looking forward to it on Sunday more than I can even tell you. I feel like trying to put it in words will not even do it justice. Game kick, 12 p.m., right there on Sports Radio 610. Pre-game show, 9 o'clock. FCL Dental pre-game show will be with Sean Pendergast and Mike Meltzer. And then after this Texans team hopefully gets a win, then Sean Pendergast and Paul Gallant will be breaking that down. I'll jump in on the show from Foxborough before we take off and hopefully come back here 1-0. That's the goal, 1-0 every single week, and it starts on Sunday up in Massachusetts. In the words of the immortal, Bart Scott, can't wait. Cannot wait. Coming up next right here on our flagship, a fantasy football show that is going to be awesome, brought to you by the Fantasy Four, Kyle King. Joe George, Brian McDonald, and Josh Beard. You're going to love it. Keep it tuned right here on Sports Radio 610. Let's go to New England and get something done, people. Haven't done it ever. Let's make Sunday the first. See you then, everybody. As always, go Texans.